Welcome back to the For Where You Are podcast brought to you by Chapel Street Church. My name is Joe Scavato, and on today's episode, we are going beyond the sermon with a conversation about faith that finishes and how it can impact the everyday life of the everyday Jesus follower. Today, I'm joined by Pastor Jeff Frazier. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Joe. Welcome back. And Pastor Andrew Griffiths, the one coyote man himself. <laughs> yes. Hi, Andrew. It's now stuck. That's very sad. <laughs> that is your legacy. Congratulations. But at least by saying one coyote, we're acknowledging you could defeat one. Yeah, yeah I do appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate good. that we've grown from mockery to a family. It's, it's a sign of respect. Those of you who are sure. tuning in for the first time, you'll have to go back to yeah. episode one. Yes. <laughs> totally worth eight minutes of your life. <laughs> All right. We are jumping in today. We just started a brand new series going through the yes. letter of Second Peter. And excited to talk about it with you guys. Um, Jeff, you were not preaching this weekend, yes. but uh, as we begin our time, I, I just wanted to uh, give you a moment and maybe just kind of give us a big, big picture idea for the series, why uh, you wanted to do it, and mm. also kind of how we got to this title, Faith That Finishes. Yeah, well, for one thing, uh, it comes after First Peter, which we've already done, so I figured we can't leave this, this Makes sense. Just series turn the page. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Peter wrote these two letters to the same group of churches, and it felt you know, right to finish um, his his exhortations to the church. Um, the reason we call it a faith, faith that finishes is because I think there's you know, Peter writes to these churches in the beginning about persecution that's to come and about suffering and the big question of how to live out your faith in a world that's increasingly hostile to the claims of the gospel. And here he's he gets more specific in terms of um, like staying faithful and finishing, uh, specifically in 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 the degree to which we know and trust in Jesus. And so we're going to talk about this, but knowledge uh, comes up a ton, um, and not just knowledge like in terms of facts, but personal knowledge is what carries oh. you through. And so, yeah, calling it a faith that finishes or faith that finishes, meaning that um, it's not a faith you have once upon a time. It's not faith that that, uh, that comes and goes. It's a faith that finishes, meaning it carries you through because uh, Hebrews tells us faith is a gift. It's not something we conjure up or muster up. It's given to us and it and it we're intended to participate in that and grow, which was the subject of this this week's sermon. So. So, Andrew, you and I were both up um, this weekend. So, mm-hmm. given what we just heard, tell me a little bit of how we kind of launched that this week with this first passage. Um, give us a little elevator pitch recap of okay. week one. Yeah, so I think this was a great passage to preach. This, this is one of those passages where you, when you're reading through Scripture, you're like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. And I think the heart of it was uh, right in verse 3 where Peter is encouraging them that they have everything that they need in Christ. Yeah that everything has been provided for them. And so everything that is to follow, I think, in this letter kind of stems from this idea of what Peter's saying, that is that through Christ, through the knowledge of Christ specifically, God has supplied everything that we need for life and godliness. Uh, and so what is it that he's supplied? How do we uh, use that? How do we take our own part in our right. own growth um, and have a faith that finishes? Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. And I think um, as we went through it, that that idea of knowledge and what knowledge means was something that came up. I mean, he uses the word knowledge several times just in this passage alone, um, and it seems like he's kind of distinguishing between you know personal uh, connection and encountering knowledge versus just something that you just know abstractly. Yeah. Um, so let's maybe just kind of dive into that idea a little bit. What are some differences between those two types of knowledge? Mm. Well, first, just to back up a bit, um, it's it's curious to me that Peter, and, and I think that when you first read this, Peter says, you have everything you need. His divine power has granted us everything that we need. 
for life and godliness. Not, so that, first of all, it's not everything that we need for our own agenda. It's not everything that we need to, you know, to have the American dream. It's for godliness, to become like Christ. We have That's everything good. we need, which is God's purpose for our lives. Mm-hmm. So let's get our purpose straight first. And then he, but then he goes on at the, and he says in, in verse 5 or 6, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And he lists these seven things. Knowledge is one of them. So maybe the question we should answer first is, if he's given us everything we need, why do we have to work hard to add things to it? That doesn't seem to make sense. And that's the, the, this uh, theme that comes up over and over in the New Testament, this interplay between what God does and what we do. Mm. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 12, that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the key is we're not working for our salvation. It's, we're, not, we're not earning anything. We're not, we're not accomplishing our salvation. But once we receive that gift of grace, we have work to do. So I think the, the two errors Christians often make is one thinking that my salvation is up to me based on my effort. That's clearly not what the gospel teaches. The other mistake is to think it's entirely up to God and I have no part to play. Right. I'm just a passive agent. Both are errors. Mm. Anyway, so not, one of the first things he lists is knowledge. So um, since, since you guys preach, tell me what that means. Go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I was really struck by that phrase right at the start when he says, uh, his divine power is granted you through the knowledge of Christ. Uh, And I think that's a really great question that you ask. What's the difference there between like knowing facts about it in terms of kind of standard way we think about knowledge versus a personal knowledge? Right. Because I think when Peter uses that phrase, the knowledge of Christ, he's talking about a personal living relationship with Jesus, not just knowing things about him, but knowing him personally Mm -hmm. as God's son, as God's savior. Um, And he goes on to kind of unpack that a little bit because he says uh, that that through him he's granted us um, a couple of things. We talked about this. I think both of us talked about this when we were preparing for this sermon. Um, Granted us very great promises that we've become partakers of the divine nature and escaped from corruption, all these kind of effects in our life that come as a result of knowing him personally. Um, That's a fascinating phrase, isn't it? Partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? Yeah, I love that phrase. Yeah, what does that mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? Yeah, you know, I I tried to wrestle with that and answer that in the sermon. I'm not sure if I nailed it, but... um, I'm sure you did. But, you know, it was interesting how, like... I think you could read that and say like, "Oh, I am now divine." Like I, <laughs> I and it, I don't think it's that. No, um, I no. think rather than it's us, you know, getting to God's level, it's God recognizing that God has come to ours, yeah. um, and that yes, you know that, that we have been given um, and invited to a, a different yeah. kind of life. Yeah. Uh, you know, think about knowledge. I, I use this analogy in my message, um, but a few weeks ago. Uh, Judy and I took some of our friends to Lou Malnati's for the first time. They'd never had it before. Nice. And so like leading up to that, I was like telling them all about it. Like I was telling them about like the crust and it's deep dish and you know, it's so good. And you know, it's just kind of really hyping it up. And so they like, they knew all this stuff about it, but they didn't really know it until they tasted it. Right. And then right. it was like, it was personal. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that to me has kind of been, uh, the framework for how I've thought about this of this is personal. It's something that you experience. And through that experience, that changes your nature, that changes what you pursue and it changes, uh, you know, your purpose. And now my purpose is adding these things into my life. These things that models. It's, it's relational knowledge, isn't it? I mean, the three of us are married and you can, I can know facts about my wife before we're married. I can, 
uh, you know, know where she was born, where she lived. I, I could know all details about her, which might make me a weird stalker, but <laughs> but you, that's not the same thing as knowing someone relationally. And we're, well, yeah. I think what, what Peter's saying is that we've been given everything we need through the relational knowledge of the one who died for us, who yeah. loves us, yeah. and who's with us. Um, and that's how that growing in the knowledge of who he is and his love for us, not just facts. And I think that sometimes... Uh, perhaps this is an American thing, but in our educational system, we're conditioned to like, you know, you study for a, uh, a test and you memorize facts and you spit those answers back and you forget them and move on. When it, when the Bible talks about knowledge, it's not talking about information that we memorize yeah. for a test. It's talking about something that gets inside of our minds, penetrates our hearts and changes who we are. Yeah. Um, and so it, um, I think, and then, you know, also partakers of the divine nature, you're right that he has come to us. But it is true that Paul says in Ephesians 4, we're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're made to be like him. So we're created in his image, and sin has marred that image. And so I think what Peter's saying is because of the relational uh, knowledge of Jesus, his his grace in our lives, we can now become who we're made to be, image bearers of God, partakers of the divine nature. I think there's like a lot of places you can go with that phrase. Because that's, I mean, it's just such an incredibly... Like heavy phrase, partakers of the divine nature. I think one of the other things that stood out to me this week is just as I reflected on that phrase is when you think about God's divine nature, if you if you remove God from everything else and, and just think about God before creation, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed in perfect unity and perfect love and perfect community, and that that was a part of his nature is before there was anything else, there was him in perfect unity, and he is, through Christ, inviting us into that yeah. pre-existing nature that kind of, that perfect family, that perfect unity. Um, and kind of, I think about, you ever gone to someone else's house for dinner, like another family, and you're like, man, this family is so much fun. Like, I love hanging out with these guys. Yeah. Like, the the husband loves his wife way better than I love my wife. The kids are fun. Like, And I feel like when Christ, through the cross, invites us into a relationship with him and his Father and the Spirit, it's it's like being invited into this family of perfect unity and love and, like, what a an indescribable mm-hmm. experience that is to be a part of that nature that before creation was perfect and in love and, and, and care for one another. And I think when we talk this way, which is true, it, it sounds like um, abstract and sort of these high lofty, how, how would we possibly, how does that happen? Which is why Peter says, because you've been given everything you need, therefore you have step into that, make mm-hmm. every effort to add to your faith. And he tries to make it practical with these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you mentioned knowledge for one thing is, um, you can't grow in love for someone if you don't grow in knowledge of who they are, they go together. Like again, go back to the marriage analogy, you know, your wife better today than the day you were married and that you love her better because of that. You grow in the knowledge and she knows you better, way better. Mm, (laughs) A little too well. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Then, then the day you were married and so growing, it's impossible to, to grow in love for someone without growing the knowledge of who they are. Right. So I think that's what Peter's saying to us, which is why we read the Word of God, not to memorize facts or to like to have secret knowledge nobody else has, but to grow in the understanding of who God is and how much he loves us through Christ. That's yeah. the, if you read Paul's prayers, that's the primary thing he's praying for. I pray that your knowledge, yeah. you would, it would depth of insight, that your love would grow in how much you know. Uh, anyway, I think that's what Peter's saying to us is our, one of the key ways we grow in is, is by growing the knowledge of Jesus, yeah. who has given us everything we need. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about framing it in this way is that it, it makes it really simple to know, like, 
oh, how, how do I grow? Well, the same way you spend time with anyone else or yeah. the same way you grow in relationship yeah. with anyone else by spending time together and learning about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe one of the things that people struggle with is um, having that discipline to do so or, yes. or yeah. finding the time. So I guess the question then would be like, what, what encouragement would you give to someone listening and saying, I know what I need to do. I know I should yeah. get into the word. I know I should spend time with God, et cetera, et cetera. But, but like, it's just hard. Like yeah. wh- what do you say to those in that situation? Yeah. I mean, I think that's why Peter says make every effort. I think he is very aware of how challenging it can be for us as believers to really take what we know to be true and put it into practice in our life. I mean, especially for the context of this church, we know from first Peter, they're going through a lot of different things. And so I think Peter is trying to say, look, I know it's hard sometimes to take what we believe in our heads and, and put it into practice in our lives, but we've got to make every effort. We've got to be dedicated to it. We've got to be disciplined. So I, I think the start of it is um, kind of skipping ahead in the passage a little bit when he says about, uh, you know, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being uh, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I think one of the problems with us putting it into practice is sometimes we forget, we don't hold on uh, to what we have in Christ by spending time with him and spending time in community with other believers and uh, and really being serious and disciplined about pursuing things. And so our mind becomes clouded, we be- become forgetful, we become nearsighted, we even become blind in some circumstances to how beautiful what Jesus offers us really is. And so we stop putting the effort in to chase after it. But I think if we if we hold at the forefront of our minds that what is on offer is beautiful and good, then that kind of yeah, puts in our true. heart, like, I want to chase this, I want this, I want to go after this, I want to make every effort. So if that means waking up a little bit earlier to spend some time with some guys in prayer and as Jeff unfortunately invites me to do run hills, <laughs> then like do it, you know, get into it. Or maybe it means sometimes getting into a small group is a little bit inconvenient for where we're at life, but I'm going to make every effort because I want to chase down this beautiful thing that's on right, offer in Christ. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Make every effort. I mean, and, uh, we understand this. Like, and, and if it comes to like, if you're a musician, you don't na- you don't drift into becoming more proficient in in your craft as a musician or an artist or an athlete or uh, studying for you know to in, in your field. We understand these things take work and discipline and effort. Yeah. Somehow, I think we think that when it comes to spiritual growth, that those rules don't apply. Mm. And Peter's simply saying they do. But it's it's as you said so well, Andrew. It's it's for such a great gift we've been given. Um, and I, you know, the, even the phrase "you've been given everything you need," uh, we should pause there and think. We live in a, a culture where we're almost conditioned to focus on what we think we lack all the time. Mm. You know, the the advertising industry is this way. Our culture is constantly in social media telling us, you know, you lack this, you don't have this, and it's this kind of creating this cultural angst of what we don't have. It's good as Christ followers to pause and remember, I have everything I need for what matters most in my life. I have everything I need, yeah. and God invites me then to play a part in my own growth. It doesn't magically happen. I'm not a passive agent, but it's not all up to me either. I join him in this. And that's, you know, Pastor Brian in his sermon said, why don't you take these seven things he lists here and do a little inventory, hmm. give yourself a score. And he jokingly said, if you don't know how to score yourself, ask your spouse, ask your best friend, <laughs> ask somebody who knows you well, they'll tell you. And, and, and I think that's really helpful to say, well, how am I doing in, in self-control and in knowledge and in kindness and in love? 
Uh, and then he had a great analogy, which I really loved. And I jotted this down. He said, these are not independent qualities that you can grow independent of each other. Yeah. They, they grow in, in, a, in a relation to each other. And he used the analogy of the Christmas tree lights, the old school strands of lights. I don't lights know where, where he got that. You do, was it from you? Well, no, that's from Joe. <laughs> we we, that we sat down last week talking Let's about give that? Joe credit where credit's due. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Sorry, I stole the rest of it from Brad. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all steal everything We all from use from each other, yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, I love that analogy, Joe, where you one light goes out and you and you can't the others won't come on unless you find it. And that's really true if you think about it. Like how could you grow in knowledge without self control? Mm. How could you grow in brotherly kindness without goodness? They they do connect to each other. If one light's gone out, then the whole strand is, is compromised. And I uh, anyway, good job. Helpful analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I did something similar to that and kind of used the analogy of um, you know, when you were a kid and you would kind of track your growth, like how, how tall you were growing. Um, and the, the analogy that I used was no matter where you're at now, the goal is a year from now, 10 years from now that you would yeah. see that you have grown, that you've, uh, made progress, yeah. whatever that looks yeah. like. And not that we're, cause we're not going to be tens across the board. Yeah. Um, right. and well, I think that goes not. back to, <laughs> <laughs> unless you're a senior pastor, of course, yeah, no, you're definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of speaks into a little bit of the other aspect of yeah. rather than spiritual, maybe laziness, but more the side of, I need to be perfect. I need to earn God's right. love. Right. And that's, of course, not what he's saying. And maybe yeah. that's worth right. mentioning as well here, too. That's, uh, that's why I like what he says towards the end there when he says, um, in verse 10, he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. He doesn't yeah. say earn it. He doesn't say live yeah. a life so that you deserve it. He's saying confirm it. It's already happened. It's already been given it to you. Your effort now is to is to just confirm it, to show that that's right. true, that's that right. that's actually happened. Yeah. You know, even when he says, if you don't do these things, he doesn't say you'll be damned or you'll be, God's going to cast you aside. He says you'll be uh, ineffective and, un, and unfruitful. That's good. You'll be nearsighted and blind. So think about that. You have everything you need, but if you don't make every effort to add these things to your faith, you could still, even though you have everything you need, end up nearsighted, blind, ineffective, unfruitful. Yeah. And that's a, Brian said it, and that's a terrifying idea. Who wants to get to the end of their life Amen. and think, well, yes, I, I, I'm saved, but I really made no difference in the world. Mm-hmm. I was completely ineffective and unfruitful, made no impact on those around me. And really I was blind. I didn't see all that God was doing. I want to see what he's doing. I want yeah. his, my eyes to be opened to how he wants to use me in the world. Um, so that, that's, um, I think Peter's saying like, you're here for a purpose. And it's not just yourself. And our spiritual growth is not just for us. It's for the people around us, for the world in which we live. It's interesting that that idea of kind of what is the legacy that you're leaving, especially with Peter admitting, we'll see next week, I think, that like he knows the end of his life is coming. And and it was. He he only had a short amount of time left. And so it almost feels like he's kind of looking back at his own life and saying, like, this, I, I can say that I have lived effectively, yeah. not perfectly, but productively, and, and there has been fruit that has born because of these things that I've tried to do. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Um, so kind of looking at that list um, in verses 5 and 6 and 7, there are all these attributes, these Christmas lights, if you will, <laughs> and um, I think it, it could be easy to kind of just dive into each one, but I, rather than that, looking at these as a group... Um, and this idea of spiritual growth, yeah. I'm curious, just as pastors, um, 
when you talk about spiritual growth, either in a message or just in an individual conversation, um, just if there are any misunderstandings that people have about spiritual growth or, or any good advice that you offer hmm. when it comes to just, you know, this practical everyday living. That's good. What, yes, Andrew, what, what wise sage <laughs> advice would you offer those who are seeking to grow spiritually? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have any wise. I know when I think about this for myself, because I'm, I mean, you guys know this. I'm really hard on myself. It's easy for me to like look at a list like this and go, "Man, I just, I yeah. sometimes I feel like I've gone backward in some of these." Right. I, and the, the best encouragement I got—it's similar to what you were saying a second ago, Joe, about like when you're measuring yourself and you're looking for growth as a kid. What matters isn't necessarily that you went up a whole foot, but do you see the notch going up a little bit? Yeah. And that's that's an encouragement to me. Is that? I mean, God has planned my whole life as an effort to grow me. So if in between now and next week, like, I don't feel like I've come on a lot, I shouldn't be discouraged by that because God is playing a long game, right? He is mm-hmm, He right. is discipling me and caring for me and growing me over the long time. So that I think the aim is find places in your life right. where do you see, like, inches and inches moving forward? Do, right. you, do, you, do you see more self-control in yourself this month than last month. And if right. not, then, you know, press in some more, ask for grace. God loves you and he wants to see you grow in that. But you, I think you're wise to say taking the long view. So um, in the, the ESV says that if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, I think the NIV says increasing measure, meaning you're growing in them as you're, as you're, as you're explaining, Andrew. So it's not a destination where I have them and I'm done. Mm. I'm continually growing and there's always more. And the other, the other thing is taking the long view. Like in a, in, a, in a small slice of time, this week, this day, even this month, it could be – it's possible that I've taken some steps backward. I often do. One step forward, two steps back mm. in an area of self-control or of kindness. But over, the, over time, am I a more self-controlled, kind, um, patient, um, loving man? And uh, Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, has this great quote. He says, one of the best signs of spiritual growth are the thoughts that no longer occur to us. I love Mm. that. Wow, yeah. I mean, like, hey, oh, that that used to be my issue. As I look back on my life, that used to be my hang-up and my struggle, and it isn't now. And it's been gradual, but God has been setting me free from that. God has been uh, growing me in that way. And so I think, being, as you said, being patient with ourselves, but also taking the long view. Um, But but I also asking God, you know, let's... Put a finger on David says it in the Psalms, right? Search me, O God, know my heart, test my that's anxious good. thoughts. Like, point out anything in me that's offensive. And that's I, I don't because I want to grow. That's the part I don't like. You yeah, know, right. like that's the part I don't spend enough time sitting down uh, and asking Jesus, or let alone as Pastor Brian said, asking my wife. Yeah. Like, well, hey, who? Let's face it, she's yeah. the voice of Jesus most of the time in your life. Oh yeah, <laughs> anyway. yeah, I know. So I should listen to her when she tells me things. I That's don't right, Janae, are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> Andrew said right here that he should listen to you. It's marked. It's recorded. <laughs> we have record of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier, Andrew, uh, you know, joining a group or waking up early to pray with other people. And I think a lot of times the people that know us can point out our blind spots in a way oh, that right. we don't see. I mean, you right. know, they can say, right. you know, you, you've not been living a godly life or you, you've not been showing brotherly love or whatever it is. And to be able to receive that, I think takes a lot of vulnerability but yeah. i think that is part of the yeah. effort is i think yeah. i think it takes what peter mentioned at the start right you got to have the knowledge of christ to know christ can say things like that to you your brothers and sisters in christ can say things like that to you and it doesn't have to destroy you no because christ has affirmed you and loved you and justified you before god so if we have that right. if we have that very great promise that peter tells us about at the start right. Right. through the knowledge of christ 
I can be vulnerable and open to my brother in Christ saying, hey, I, I really have not been seeing a lot of brotherly affection in you. And that's okay because you're loved by God, but let's work at that. Let's let's get after that together. Yeah. You know, in his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this part on the uh, about confession and he and I'll and I'll just you know badly paraphrase here, but he said he says that for most Christians it's much easier to pray, confess privately. Mm. I, if I've really screwed up, I'd rather handle it by myself, go in my room and pray and confess to God. And of course, God does hear our private confessions. But why he says is it is it easier to do that than to sit among a couple of brothers or sisters and confess your sin to them? And he says, it's because sometimes we're in danger of self-forgiveness. Sometimes we, we don't want to do that publicly with other people because it, 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 it feels like we're exposed then. Yeah. And then he asks this question, why is it easier for us to go alone before a holy God who we sinned against than to sit among fellow sinners who can remind us we're forgiven? Because we have it backwards. So I think even in, even in the pursuit of godliness, the pursuit of growing the knowledge, and you, you said it well, asking people to point those things out to us and confessing them in community is one of the ways God helps us grow because we come into his presence in community in a way that, that perhaps we don't just in, in alone. Cause so this, it's, it's easy to read this passage and think, well, this is Peter's advice to the individual Christ follower. We, we must always remember the you in this passage is you all, mm. all of you all. He's writing to a mm. church. He's saying, all of you make every effort together in community That's good. to add to your faith. It's not just you personally working on your own life, yeah. which is something you should do, but it's in community together work on growing in these ways. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. Any other final thoughts on this section of Second Peter? I've been almost calling it First Peter this entire time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I've made a mistake. If I do, we'll edit it out. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to get into this. It's a shorter, it's a shorter letter, but it's really got some powerful um, uh, passages in there. And, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to personally learn and for our church family to grow in these ways because it's a, it, it shouldn't surprise me after all these years of preaching the New Testament, but it's amazing how relevant these yeah. ancient letters are for our current cultural moment. Totally. Yeah. Any uh, sneak peek for next week? Well, uh, yes, actually. Thanks for, thank you, Joe. <laughs> Team that <laughs> up for me. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, th- he says, um, Peter's going to start off the next section by saying, even though you know these things, I'm never going to stop reminding you. Mm. And we'll get into that. But I love that because I think sometimes we, and I, I fall into this trap. Well, they already know. Well, they don't need me to tell them. Oh, we do. We need to remind each other. One of the great roles we have in each other's lives as Christ followers is to constantly remind each other of what's true because we forget. Mm. And so Peter's going to spend the next section of chapter one saying, I'm, as long as I'm alive, he uses the phrase, as long as I live in the tent of this body, which means as long as I've got skin on and I'm walking the earth and breathing, I'm going to keep telling you the truth, even though you know it. And so anyway, tune in to be reminded this coming week. There you go. Yeah. The tent of this body. Yeah, start using that more often. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. It is time. For everyone's favorite segment. Yes, all right. Joe wants to know. What do you want to know, Joe? So this actually came from a conversation that we had in some meeting. I don't, I don't remember the context. I don't know how it came up, but I am just <laughs> dying to know the answer to this question. Right. If you could go back to any period of time, a decade, an era, however specific you want to make it, and let's say you have to go back for a month. Let's call it a month. What would you choose and why would you choose it? Ooh. So I think, if I remember correctly, this was a conversation we had at a preaching team meeting. It sounds right. Uh, for all of us uh, in a, in, on a Thursday morning, and I, and I don't remember for sure, but I believe we were talking about how hard it is sometimes to get into the cultural moment, uh, the, the context of what we're preaching. Sure. And so we, 
had a rabbit trail then. Well, if you could go back to any time in history, any cultural moment, where would you go? So, Andrew? Now, you know that Marvel's not a real history. You yeah, can't go it has back to be a real time yes, yes. in a real world. Take the Infinity Stones Reminded and travel back to often. it. Right. <laughs> you can't become Superman. Uh, Nor can you go to like Naboo or Tatooine in Star Wars or whatever. I Is need it, to find a new thing. You got because <laughs> I, 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 people hold the whole Marvel and Star Wars thing against That's me all we so hard. No, it's we not against you. Else. It's endearing. I, know. Love it. I, 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 I said in my seminar this week, my small brain only has room for... Uh, Stuff about Jesus and then stuff about Star Wars and Marvel. <laughs> no, that's not true. So. You, I, it's not, a, not wholly against you. It's I know, I know, I know. I, I, I'm glad you said month because the hardest part about this question, I've thought about this before. Me and Janae have played this game before. I, there's lots of periods I would like to visit, but I wouldn't like to stay there. So I'm glad right. it's only a month. Um, <laughs> I think I, I really kind of like um, movies about... Uh, Periods in the 20th century, you know, when they're like going to the moon for the first time or all this all this cool revolutionary stuff is happening. So maybe like 1960s. Would you go? Like, like, would you try to become an astronaut? Oh, no, that's be way too dangerous. the first person on the moon? <laughs> no, I could, I could never outdo Neil Armstrong. But I would like to have been there to see that happen for the first time. Because now we just talk about it. Like things like that, revolutionary things that happened in the earlier part of last century. We just talk about it like... It, it happened, but to those people living at the time, that must have been crazy to see a guy walking on the moon for the first time, and you saw that on your TV set. You would have been like, "That, that's insane." It, it, the, you know, you realize there are people living who actually did see that. <laughs> this is not that far back in history. But to me, yeah. not not me though. Yeah. I, and what a cool thing that they got to be alive during that. That's amazing stuff. Just ask yeah. them about it, and they'll okay. tell you. I will. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think about this often, which is, tells you a little bit about me. I fantasize in my head if I could go back to certain times. Of course, one era I would love to go back to would be, uh, I'd love to be at Oxford in the days oh, when course. Lewis and Tolkien of first course. met. We so, should have known that. So, so, yeah. so, so mid-1920s, <laughs> early 1930s, uh, Oxford, England, walking around uh, with Lewis and Tolkien when the Inklings began to form. I, I would... That'd be fun. Poor C.S. Lewis that's died before the moon thing, though. He, he died in 1963. <laughs> Same day as John F. Kennedy. Yes. You know yeah, yeah, I did so, know that. Uh, and if, if not then, I th- and this is, uh, a month would be, oh, I don't know if I could survive a whole month. I'd like to go back to the Celtic Isles when the monks were there, you know, uh, in the early days of the missionary movement in the, when the, uh, you know, evangelizing to the pagans on the British Isles. And they built these amazing monasteries and were copying the great, like the Lindisfarne Gospels and the the Book of Kells. These, these uh, it would be cool to, it, 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 I've romanticized it. I realize that. The, the hygiene and the sanitation, the diet issues tough. for a month. Might, yeah, that's might that's the, always the part that kills me. <laughs> but I imagine going back there, yeah. Andrew, his answer was a lot more spiritual than yours. Yeah. Yeah, Do well. you have a response? <laughs> uh, going to the moon is cool. Um, <laughs> it is cool. Uh, my answer then and is now, I would go back to like 1770s and I would try to become Revolution. a character that got into the musical Hamilton. Uh, you just want to make it in. I, I don't. I, I'll be a bad guy. I'll be a good guy. I don't care. I want to be get, in. You want to be in. Lin Manuel Miranda's rap. Correct. Yes. Okay. That's all. I would. Going for. I, would I feel like a month would be enough. I could do yeah. something important <laughs> enough in a month to make that happen. I would definitely uh, be King George in Hamilton. He's got you, the best you would songs. Be. You would He's be. killer. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, that is what I wanted to know. So now I know. And thank you guys for joining me on You're another welcome. episode. It was good. Thanks for listening to the For Where You Are podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Episode and share this with a friend if it has helped you in your faith journey. We'll talk to you soon.